Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. I'm thinking of a cold river up north, a river that I've been planning to go to for, well, ever since I had the my health issues and um, working hard, re- rehabbing, trying to squeeze in, into the waders. And I'm thinking of all the fish in that river hiding under the logs, coming in from the big lake, ready to pounce on a fly. There's the spotted Haley and the sad DeSantis, the cloudy Biden who can't even find the fly. He can't even find his way off the stage in his speech. And there's always the one lurking under the water, the Michelle Obama. Savage, relentless, and if she breaks water, I think she'll take my line and everything we have and everything I own and rip it down along the river and be gone. Because I don't think they're stopping her. But now I return to my favorite political angler, Tom Bevan, president and co-founder of Real Clear Politics. Hey, Tom, are you in? (laughs) I'm uh, checking my schedule to see if there's anything available. Because uh, we have guides available and fishermen available and wine available because I, I, I watch that. I listen to your podcast, the takeaway podcast an excellent, most excellent podcast. One of my favorites, uh, along with your other, other adventure adventure, which is now the polling podcast. We can talk about that, but in it there, we have wine. And I know that from listening to that uh, podcast that you and Carl Cannon are forever trading that mythical, excellent bottle of wine. (laughs) Correct. Yes. To satisfy your bets. Exactly. So So Steve, the pilot and Ross, the baker and Dan prof, our friend, Dan prof, who's coming with us. Want to know if you're going to be able to come up to there. I've said it, cut it out, Jeff. Cut, cut out the word. Well, I will. I will. But to to come with us to that that beautiful river up north, uh, and I uh, hope you can make it. Well, I will do my best. I won't badger you anymore. <laughs> but but I do think that since you like going on activities with the kids, that uh, it's always something I wanted to do with my son. You know, to, to begin to to begin to do it and take them with me up yeah. there. It's a good, it, no, no screens, no phones, no, you know. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. All right, so uh, back now we're we're kind of chilled out in our zen, thinking of the river and the calmness. But let's get into the contentiousness of presidential politics. You're going to New Hampshire this week. What what are you going to see there besides more carnage? <laughs> Probably more of what I saw in Iowa when I was out there last week, which which is, you know, Donald Trump winning. I mean, it looks like, uh, you know, we had two two polls come out this morning, the Boston Globe Suffolk tracking poll, which showed Trump that started about five days ago. And Trump's lead had been 
you know, roughly in the 14% range. And then it kind of ticked up and now it ticked up again. He's up 19 points in that poll. CNN poll uh, conducted with the University of New Hampshire came out uh, just minutes ago and has Trump up 11. So he's up 15 points in our real clear politics average. He's over 50%, 50.3. Haley's at 35.3. And poor Ron DeSantis is down at 6.3. So, uh, look, um, could there be an upset on Tuesday? It's possible. Anything's possible. And certainly the electorate in New Hampshire, which is, you know, a good chunk of independence. Flinty. Uh, I think the, the way we describe them is flinty, right? Flinty. Yeah. Right. Um, but man, it just, it, it looks like, you know, Trump had a rally in, in Manchester last night that was just absolutely packed, uh, to the rafters with people, you know, around the block waiting to get in and the freezing cold, uh, Nikki Haley doesn't seem to have any of that kind of, of energy. And, you know, she's really relying on, on independents and Democrats to, to cross over and vote for her, um, and it seems like, you know, she is winning a decent number of independents, but but I'm just not sure that it's going to be enough. And certainly, even if it is, when you turn around and go to South Carolina, which is the next contest, which is three weeks away, that's a closed primary. And uh, even though it's her home state, only Republicans can vote. And Trump is leading there by 20 or 30 points. So m- maybe there'll be a surprise uh, on Tuesday night that extends this contest a little bit further, but I think, you know, if you kind of take a broader view of it, it ends, it ends badly for, for Haley and for DeSantis in the, you know, relatively near future, I would think. Tom, I love having you on and thanks so much for joining us too, especially this, you know, hotbed of political uh, fun. Sure. This is the time of year when I think of Tom Bevin. I mean, I think of Tom, you know, real good politics every day, but this is when I'm like, I, I love to see what's happening, Tom. I imagine you like the wizard behind the curtain with all the polls and everything going on. Um, well, I'd love to get love to get your take because there's been this pushback, right? This is what the, like the CNNs and MSNBCs of the world. They're like, oh, Donald Trump won, but only, you know, 15% of all people in Iowa voted. And of that, you know, whatever, they narrow it down to say, well, you know, a handful of people really voted for Trump. Right, right. What, what, but what, what's, I, I always wanted your take on that because when I heard that, I'm like, First of all, it sounds like too many ifs thens to make and to be of any usefulness as a data point. But what is your response when you heard that? Because I, that's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, listen. So you can argue that that caucus turnout was lower than people thought it was going to be. Now it was cold. I mean, it was freezing mm-hmm. cold, um, and the roads were not great. Um, but you know. It's Iowa. I mean, these people know how to drive in the snow. It's not like the folks in Washington, D.C., where two flakes fall and, you know, schools are closed. I mean, these people know how to get around. So, so I, you know, so maybe you could make the argument that that turnout was emblematic of, of the dread that, you know, the party feels, uh, you know, heading toward a general election that's going to be Trump versus Biden. But, you know, that's speculation a little bit. But what is true, what is absolutely true? Is that Donald Trump won 98 out of 99 counties. He only lost uh, Johnson County, which is where I was, by one vote to Nikki Haley. And by the way, we had a number just in the caucus location that I was at. We had a number of people show up, Democrats, register on the spot as Republicans and vote for Haley. So absent those people, Trump would have won that county as well. And his margin probably would have been a little bit bigger in other portions around the state. 
Um, and he won the biggest victory that any Republican has ever had in a in a caucus in Iowa. Iowa. I mean, Bob Dole in '96, I think, twelve points was the was huge. The, uh, yeah. Right. So, so just based on those results, you you would have to say that you know Trump had a a resounding victory in Iowa. I mean, I don't think there's any other way. And and some of these articles that have come out, like, oh, it was only 3% of the overall voting electorate in Iowa and blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's always been that way. And suddenly they're trying to, like, diminish Trump's accomplishment because, you know, and paint him as more vulnerable than than he probably is. Um, I think that's kind of silly. Just based Wishful on the thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, you know, and I also think this idea that, well, well you know, Trump's the, he's the you know, basically the incumbent and therefore, you know, you had almost 50% of Iowans vote for somebody else. It's like, oh, okay. I, you know, but again, I think that's kind of a, a silly way of, of looking at it. I mean, Donald Trump is in a very, and he's been in this position, a very strong position for months. This is not, you know, breaking news. This is not, you know, revelatory in any way. He is a very, very strong candidate for rank-and-file Republican voters around the country. He demonstrated that strength in Iowa. He's, you know, going to demonstrate it probably again in New Hampshire. And and if if for some reason there is an upset, you know, I mean, you go look at some of these polls that are out there on Super Tuesday, where he is in California, where he is in the South. I mean, he's just, it's going to be really, really hard to stop him. And I honestly don't think that Nikki Haley has enough support within the rank-and-file of the party to pull it off. Well, you could put him in jail, right? That's you the playbook. Him in, you lock him behind bars, isn't that the idea? So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really, as you know, and some, some of you know, I'm, I'm not a big real Trump fan. I'm not a Trumpian. Really? I know that I know that he's not a conservative. I'm a conservative. He's not. But you know, he can't stand Mitch McConnell, and my enemy, uh, my friend, uh, my uh, friend of my enemy is my en- friend, or however that works, and so I'm with him there. Yeah, but I mean, even, listen, that that's more of a general election thing, right? Right. I mean, Trump, none of these indictments have hurt him in, a, in the primary. They've helped him, and if he were to get thrown in jail or something, I mean, it wouldn't change the outcome of the primary. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Yes. The question is, you know, Democrats think, well... If he's if he's convicted of any one of these 91 counts, that that's going to be you know trouble. And they cite some polling data that suggests that that might be the case. I'm a little skeptical of that as well. I think a lot of that stuff is already baked in the cake and that, you know, Republicans are going to vote. The vast majority of Republicans are going to vote for him uh, anyway. The vast majority of Democrats are going to vote against him. And the question is, well, how many of these sort of swing voters, independents, again, only in the states that matter. I don't care about swing voters in, you know, New York or Illinois or California. It's, it's Georgia. It's Arizona. It's Michigan, Pennsylvania. What? Are there any swing voters in Illinois? I don't know. Oh, sure there are, John. We've been talking about this, our states withering on the vine. Every day, I think there's a, a larger and larger glut of them. But to Tom's larger point, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he doesn't care about the swing states or what he counts, what counts here in this in the general election, right? If yeah, Trump and how many how many of those voters are going to switch their vote based on the fact that Trump gets indicted or gets convicted of of one or more of these counts? And it's like, I, you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I may not be that many at all. And and for every one that decides they, you know, I can't vote for a convicted felon for for president, 
There might be one or two that say, you know what, Trump was railroaded. The media has gone overboard. This is insane. And so they might switch their vote and it might actually help him. So I just don't I think that's unknowable. Yes. And I think we have to wait and, and see that play out. But certainly in, a, in the primary setting, it's not it's not going to matter. You know, one thing that is knowable is that real clear politics, and this I'm asking as I glean this from the podcast, and I think it's great. Read some, go to real clear politics and read something from from a writer with whom you disagree. Try it. It's what we used to call America back in, back when I was a boy. And uh, you know, I looked at uh, looked at the Sunday. We're speaking to you on Sunday morning and i'm thinking the one thing i have to read is can the maga shrew be tamed by the maga shrew herself maureen dowd of the new york times i i can't wait to open this one and look at it and read it (laughs) yeah i mean listen this is this is part of what we you know, do every day and have been doing. Yeah. For, for the better part of 20, almost 25 years now is like, is aggregating content, which is opinion analysis, polls, videos, everything from across the political spectrum and, and trying to present sort of the best of the best for people. And, you know, Maureen Dowd's on the front page, Tom Friedman's on the front page. We've got, you know, a a couple of um, columns from the guardian, which is a left-leaning newspaper, um, we, but we've also, and we've got some Ben Dominich. Sort of, yeah. Right. Exactly. We've got some, yeah, we've got some right leaning stuff from Ben Dominich and Aaron Flanagan and Roger Kimball, uh, um, but also, you know, Dan balls. Okay. A lot of people might think he's a, he's a centrist or he's like a sort of left leaning, you know, but he's a, he's a legendary sort of legacy reporter and it's his, you know, what's, what's also interesting about, you know, sort of the dynamic of journalism, you know, this John, like it used to be. And I've said this before on the show. It used to be that that uh, you would you would work your entire career in journalism to be able to to cover a presidential campaign, and that changed. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, fifteen years ago, where they just started hiring these young kids and giving them cameras and putting them on the bus, right, and paying right, them nothing, right. and just saying, "I want you to videotape everything and just you know write these little write ups." And and while that did, I think, increase the the amount of information that we got right transparency wise we know like okay you know uh newt gingrich said this at this event he said this at that event or whatever there was a protest at this event right um it was all that it was it was it was more information but it was all stripped of like historical context and there were only a few guys that that are still around that have and dan balls is one of them um who have that kind of historical knowledge and so it's it's uh it's nice to read People who actually know some political history about you know, how these are yeah, and perspective. actually covered. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're covering these races in the in the 1980s and the 1990s because uh, some of these kids that are out there covering covering politics today, like they can't even tell you who ran against Bill Clinton. You know, I mean, it's it's so so we have some of that as well uh, mixed in on the page. That was last century, Tom. Come on, uh, exactly. <laughs> but it, but I mean. it's important. The thing is that Tom illustrates. I think Tom, would you agree? You might agree that you illustrate here uh, the failure of the large corporation companies or interests. And I'm talking about yourself. Telling your own story is a very difficult matter, right? I mean, it's difficult for 
most people. And uh, your story is unique in the sense that, you know, as a news consumer, it's unique and important. And I I find that uh, you get glimpses of it when I listen to uh, you and Carl Cannon and others on the podcast, uh, the Real Clear Takeaway podcast, which is on, I think, three times a week, if not four, a week. And uh, yeah, I hear you arguing about, you know, bottles of wine that Carl owes you and you owe Carl. But <laughs> but basically, I don't hear what you just said. And there is no, I think in the, in the media landscape now, which is so narrow-casted for subscriptions narrowly, you know, so we can't lose any of our, our left-wing uh, Jacobin uh, frenzy readers because i can't write about anything that mitch mcconnell may have done uh we we tend to lose all that and we become even more and locked into our silo well yeah no i think that's definitely been a, a trend that's taken place in the industry and um and it's look it it has we've we've seen it i mean there used to be that's one of the things that as someone who gets up and consumes a lot of news and opinion every single day um you know it's gotten less fun and less interesting over the last few years because of the tribal nature there used to be people out there that you know would write interesting things and and you know heterodox things and and things that were surprising now it's kind of like you know and this kind of started with obama you know there was a lot of cheerleading in the media he was great oh, everything God. he did was great yes, nothing he did right. was um they were on the hopium pipe it, it accelerated under trump where the media kind of you know basically declared themselves part of the resistance and then you know everything he did right was the five alarm fire yes. and how he was destroying all these norms and he never you know nobody ever praised him nobody on the left ever praised him even when he did things that they agreed with on trade or yeah. China, you know, he's like, he had some Bernie Sanders type policies and nobody on the left could say those were good policies because they would absolutely get, you know, destroyed by the, by the, their, their constituents. Right. And it's the same thing with Biden, right? Everything Biden does is a right. disaster, you know, according to Republicans and everything he does is great. No matter, I mean, it, like the, the border is one example, but, um, where, you know, Democrats just absolutely, they have to defend him to the hilt. He can never, you know, he's never doing anything wrong um, with maybe the exception of, and this was the sort of one of the clarifying moments of, of October 7th. Um, and, but, but same thing for Republicans. So it's become very sort of binary and tribal and that makes consuming particularly opinion stuff. Um, just, just a total slog, right? Mm. So, so uh, predictable that uh you know we struggle to try and find good stuff for the front page that'll keep people interested that's kind of you know adds a little bit of of interesting arguments and sort of unpredictability and and uh, it's become a lot harder i take that as an admonition and i I take it to heart but as a as a media mogul myself who uh you know relies on the subscriptions of, of readers for my bread I find that uh, any deviation from what they want 
gets them extremely upset and people get extremely <laughs> upset. <laughs> so you're, are you saying you're part of the problem, John? You're <laughs> I might, I might just be, I mean, right, right now I, I listened to, I heard you mention the border and I'll just mention it here. The border to me is like almost a, of a revolutionary issue. It's like watching, uh, can I quote myself, uh, the Marquis de, de Evermond and his co- coaches running down a little innocent boy in Paris. It's the same idea. People are, and then you throw them a few coppers and the mu- coppers go into the mud and you write off, you know, the, the, uh, the people are, are, I've never seen the American people so angry. They're stunned. They're, they're angry. Yeah. They, they can't take it. They're, they're like, wordless speechless in anger and I, I i wonder how that works out yeah i mean I, we can talk about the border more but i in your defense okay you are a one-man band doing your thing right, right? you've sort of right. decided to make a break from i you know it you go to these big news organizations though and you go to like let's say the new york times oh i mean yeah. they hardly have um, everybody on that staff is writing basically the same thing, even the so-called conservatives, right? You got David Brooks and now David French, who writes just every column every week is Trump sucks. about how yeah. awful, right. you know, MAGA voters are and whatever. I mean, he literally can't write for the New York Times anything remotely positive about Trump supporters or Trump himself or, right. you know, without getting basically run out of town. Same thing at the Washington Post. Um, same thing. Are you saying that, are you saying that Selena Zito and I have no future at the New York? No, no, no. But but interestingly, right. Some of the people who have broken off to do their own thing have been coming from the op, Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald and some of these sort of, right. From, from the left and people who, who do have sort of interesting, uh, you know, anti-conventional wisdom things to say, and they've found themselves Barry Weiss, for example, who you know started the Free Press. Love her. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, just found found themselves too constrained by the organizations, the media organizations that they were working for, and and unable to actually say what they what they felt and believed to be real. And I think you kind of fall into that category, although coming at it from a different perspective. A when little you bit. When you uh, began to aggregate, when you started Real Clear Politics 25, what is it, 30 years ago now? 2019, well, 2000, basically, so okay. 24 years ago. And uh, and basically, when I, you know, when I, I'd have a piece, when I wrote for the paper, uh, it would be picked up by Real Clear Politics. Now, I wonder, at that moment, at that time, were you thinking about the evolution of the business the subscription model uh, versus the general circulation model and how that would uh, create silos that would break, basically break the business or break it to what we see today. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting two decades, two and a half decades to, to be involved in the media business and watch it kind of just basically be, you know, destroyed and reinvented and destroyed again. I mean, you've got, you know, Sports Illustrated just announced they're laying off everybody and (laughs) going to use AI to write sports stories. I mean, so we're seeing like yet another iteration of this with with some of the artificial intelligence stuff. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, we think about it all the time because particularly, you know, we have our own writers. We have a small staff um, covering the White House, covering Congress, covering elections um, and, you know, submitting columns and whatnot. But for the most part, you know, we aggregate. And so we're dependent upon, um, you know, being able to to have our readers have access to these articles. And so when people start putting up paywalls, um, if you want to see readers get get really mad, uh, you should see some of our readers when they click on a link on Real Clear Politics and get hit with a paywall or registration. I mean, we get I nasty bet. emails all the time. No, you know, there's nothing that infuriates people more than that. It's um, my news, and I want it now. Did I take care of that for you? I mean, did, did I take care of that? There, remember. I, I, I believe we have solved that problem for John Cast News. Yes. All right. Good. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've made a they've made a conscious, proactive decision to say, "I want to read this," and clicked on it, yeah. and then can't get to it. So, um, you know, there are you know different f- tricks that we have up our sleeve to to do some of that stuff. But um, you know, there's been this, there's been with the explosion of stuff. I mean, this has been part of our our journey as well. Is you know, a lot of the voices now are outside of these organizations. They're on Substack, right. they're on Medium, they're, you know, doing whatever and trying John to find, news. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And trying to find those people and, and, right. you know, aggregate their viewpoints as well. Um, it's, it's a challenge, but we are, uh, we continue to do our best. Tom, while we got you, you know, I love everyone who knows the podcast. I love numbers and polls and it always gets me excited. Um, right. But I, where we are now, like this idea that, Ron DeSantis is seemingly just, you know, he's got, it's over for him. My favorite. Toast, right. <laughs> right. right. How, how, did you, could you, did you think it would be this stark of a no to Ron DeSantis at this point? I mean, it felt like what he was doing in Florida up until you know, this, this election race started was like prototypical Trump. Like he was doing all the things that everybody wanted and, and Trump even moved to his state and then he doesn't have anything. Like he, there's no gas. What, what, what what toasted him? So, uh, great question. There's there's a new story out from NBC News reporting about his campaign and and how you know basically sort of a post mortem, even though it's not officially dead yet, but included all of the sort of you know traditional gaffes that these some of these folks get in. They they got in. They hired a ton of people. And thought they were going to build this, you know, juggernaut. And so they get, so they get payroll heavy and then they're, you know, then they're really reliant on donations and having to raise money. And Canada spends a lot of time doing that. They had, uh, you know, they struggled from the beginning with their message, what it was going to be. And there's some reporting on that in this NBC story. There was also this idea, you know, they, because they were sort of cash strapped, they turned to the pack and the pack had sort of outsized influence. And then you had some turnover there and it just, just sort of chaos, general chaos and, and confusion. Um, so it looked like it was a real sort of cluster right from the beginning. Um, in DeSantis's, in his defense, there's the argument that, you know what? Even if he had done everything right, he wouldn't have beaten Trump anyway, right? Trump's just Trump. And and once he decided to run, nobody was yeah. going to beat him. So you could maybe fault DeSantis for thinking. And again, go back and you see the stories. He was people were 
you know, after his victory, everybody was in his ear whispering to him, hey, you got to do this for the good of the party, for the good of the country. You're the only guy who can do it. You'll have as much money as you need. We'll be there for you. And he got talked into it, basically. Um, He's a young guy. He could have easily waited four years and done it, you know, and been the guy next time around, whether Trump won or lose, because Trump's only going to serve one term. Right. But he got into it. Hopefully. So and then and then so that was maybe his first mistake was getting in in the first place when he should have waited. His second mistake was hiring Jeff Rowe, who runs Axiom, you know, consulting, who ran basically Ted Cruz's campaign, which did not go well in 2016 no. right didn't re- didn't end up winning the nomination to run his campaign so he's taking a, a you know a sort of recycled strategist to run a recycled campaign and the idea all along was right that there's this window and i think there really mm-hmm. was a window where you know there are people who who liked trump and supported trump in 2016 2020 were open to looking for someone else um, and they did, you know, but that window was, it was, it was open for a limited period of time. And when DeSantis got out there finally and got going on his campaign, he, he did not have the proper tone. He did not have the proper message to try and take advantage of that and win over those voters. He was attacking Trump on different things, but kind of, he wasn't attacking him, you know, in the same way that like Chris Christie was, Ugh. But but he wasn't doing what Vivek did, which was kind of you know basically trying to to woo uh, Trump voters in a in a significant way, and so as a result, he kind of ended up in the middle. And you know what they say about folks who end up in the middle of the road; they get run over, and that's basically what happened. And you can see that in his numbers. You go back and look at you know when he got in in April, he was at thirty percent. Trump was at forty five. I mean, it was a fifteen point race. Yeah. Um, but after that, it just kind of all went downhill and you had the indictments, which obviously yeah. helped Trump, but DeSantis did himself no favors from the time that he got into the race. And I think we're seeing that now. And so it, the writing was on the wall for DeSantis for, for a pretty long time. And he never really course corrected. He never fired the guy. He never, I mean, he just kind of, um, I think you'll look back and again, a lot of folks, you know, the, the, History is littered with all these candidates who screwed up and, you know, Tim Pawlenty and Scott Walker and all these folks who who look great on paper and they get into the race. And for whatever reason, they run not a great campaign. They don't make a connection with voters um, and they're not able to rise above and they just, you know, crash and burn. Occam's razor says uh, that theory tells us to go for the most simple explanation is often true. And I think the most simple explanation of this one is that people wanted Trump. They wanted, and when they when they thought he was finished and he was gone, they wanted somebody like him to come back and kick ass. And and uh, then he came back, and so there was no need yeah. for DeSantis. My read on it was like the, Re- the Republicans, you know, like you said, after twenty twenty, we moved on. They're like. You know, we had we tried and he failed, and oh well. We oh, you mean like the, the Tea next. Party? The Tea Party? Well, thing? no, no, yeah. no. But I, I mean, like, if you look at the polling too, even like the idea on like who's the like the January sixth thing, and I don't want to jump into like the depth on it, but the polling on it right after was after the election was, hey, you know, Trump was probably involved, whatever. Now it shifted to it was probably an inside job or whatever it is that that thinking is shifted, and DeSantis didn't catch any of that, and then when, when the indictments came down, it was over. I mean. The people were like, oh, we can move towards somebody else. And Ron looks like a good idea. 
But Trump was just laying in wait, and it was inevitable. And I really think it was his shoes. I think it was Ron DeSantis' shoes. That's uh, because <laughs> I swear to God, okay. I mean, I, right? Even my wife latched onto that and was like, "Is this legit?" Like it, it percolated into all these weird crevices of the internet. And it, uh, I know. Well, but I, 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 I speaking think- of wives, my wife likes him, DeSantis, most because a she she's a suburban wife and doesn't like Trump. Okay, and b uh, she likes DeSantis and the family story and his wife and his, you know, support of his wife and family. And uh, and I think there are many out there, they see that and they, they resent it. They resent what's happened to him. But that's just me. I think, John, there's a lot to, to what you said, though, which is this goes back to the like, listen, you know, nobody could have beat Trump because why yeah. are you going to vote for sort of a half Trump? You know, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, when you can get the full real deal, why are you going to vote right. for a substitute or an imposter? Or an, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like so. So you know, warts uh, and all, we're going to take the we're right. going to take the the real deal. The other thing about DeSantis's campaign, which he struggled with, was this idea that you know he kept trying to tell people that I'm the stronger general election candidate. Biden doesn't want to run against me. And that was never supported by the data. I mean, the polls <laughs> no. show that Trump ran as well, if not better than DeSantis this entire time. And so that he was never really able to leverage that argument in a real way with voters that, you know, that he was somehow the massively superior general election candidate. Um, what about the uh, vice presidential sweepstakes now? Do you see uh, Nikki Haley, the child of Mitch McConnell, uh, being the vice president? I don't. No, I don't. And and you've seen enough pushback. I mean, Tucker Carlson and others have said, listen, if that that's that's a, a bridge too far, even for hardcore Trump supporters, they would they would rebel. So I that's they, not would, even... they would make me a Democrat again. <clears throat> yeah. And so um, but Politico had a story out saying basically. You know, the, the, that's the hottest race right now. The hottest primary contest is not anything that's it's, it's the who's Trump <laughs> going to pick for his VP. Yeah. Um, All right. Phil, so, well, so Phil Wegman, our reporter, um, is up in New Hampshire and he wrote a story this morning uh, about Elise Stefanik and she's there stumping for Trump. And yeah. it, her name is very much in the conversation. You just had Tim Scott fly up there and snub Nikki Haley and endorse Donald Trump. His name is in the conversation. Um, and then you've had, you know, some others that have been lingering uh, and have been part of this conversation that's now going to start reaching a fevered pitch here in the next week or so. Carrie Lake, Christy Nome, um, Tulsi Gabbard is someone who'd been mentioned. Vivek is another one. I think that's maybe unlikely. But I think the one thing that's become clear is it's not going to be Nikki Haley. I don't, I, even Trump, uh, you know, Trump can get away with a lot. I mean, he does get away with a lot, but that one I think he can't get away with. He could shoot somebody on the. On the <laughs> he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, but he couldn't pick Nikki right. Haley as his vice no, right. president. Right? As long as it's not Nikki Haley. <laughs> All right, but there's another thing since you're mentioning lingering, the lingering pain of uh, like a planter's wart keeps coming up on my foot every time I think of buying you another steak dinner, which I haven't, I still owe you. Um, for uh, the Michelle Obama prophecy, mm-hmm. because even though you su- you supported my mayoral campaign, which was short lived, <laughs> uh, during that time you also came up with the uh, 
Michelle Obama prophecy. And I'm uh, obviously like leading into a column that I'll write, but uh, is she going to be the nominee? Yeah, what's, what's the Michelle Obama pathway? John, it would have been so great if you had if you had been elected mayor and then you could have transferred power to me while you were going through your medical issue. And then I would have been running the city of Chicago it would have been amazing. And we wouldn't have had um, uh, panic attacks because we know what we're doing. (laughs) But what do we do with Michelle Obama? No. So Michelle Obama, this is the story that won't go away. Um, (laughs) And it won't go away because, you know, Joe Biden's job approval rating is at 40%. Okay, and he's uh, well, yeah, in some polls, it's been in the low. uh, ABC News had him at 33, 28 percent among independents. I think overall in our average, he's at 40 Um, and he's trailing Trump by about two points in the national polls. But but even more in some of these swing states, I mean, we had a poll come out in Michigan the other day. He's down like eight points. Uh, He's trailing by eight points in Georgia. I mean, these are. These are scary, scary numbers for Democrats. And the longer they continue, um, the more I think you will hear about Michelle Obama. And and Michelle Obama is, I mean, the reason you'll continue to hear about her, because she's the only answer to the question of who else. Because, you know, Gavin Newsom doesn't do it. J.B. Pritzker doesn't do it. There's nobody else. And it's certainly not Kamala Harris. And that's the problem. Michelle Obama is the only one who could come in. And, you know, be coronated in Chicago in July or whenever the convention is going to be. And every Democrat around the country would be like, yep, I get it. Oh, I'm yeah. on board. There would be no, you know, even Kamala's folks would have to be like, yeah, you know, OK, <laughs> fine. Because um, any other answer and you're going to you're going to have hurt feelings and you're going to have a, a tear in the coalition just weeks before the election. That is going to be a real problem for for Democrats getting out their voters. And so she's the answer. And the question is, you know, does she want to do it? Um, oh God, oh God, oh God! I, I, <laughs> it's, it's. Oh God! I, there's no, there's no stopping her, is there? I don't think so. If she wanted it, and she's like, "Honey, you know, if Barack Obama said, well, let's see, uh, FDR had four terms, but I'm going to have six. You know, <laughs> <laughs> look, if I, I, I honestly gotta, think if she wanted it, she would, she would absolutely. They would figure out a way to get her the nomination. Biden would stay on the ballot. Biden would, you know, he'd have to say, I want to spend more time with my family or whatever. And all my delegates, you know, vote for whatever. And then the question is, well, how would how would she fare against a general election with Trump? I do think, listen, I think you go back to Occam's razor. I tell people when I give speeches and they ask me what's, what the future holds. I say it's a combination of Occam's razor, right? Murphy's law and chaos theory all rolled into one, whatever the the craziest stuff that you can imagine happening is going to happen. Trump may get thrown Mm -hmm. in jail. You know, he may get assassinated. Michelle Obama may be the nominee. I mean, anything you can think of is within the realm of possibility in this kind of environment. Cause it is, it's, it's crazy out there and it's only going to get crazier. Um, And so I think I I don't rule anything out. I think would she, I think she would win. She would, uh, I talked to, I talked to Michelle. Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she would defeat Trump for God's sake. I nope. mean, yeah, independents and Democrats would coalesce run. I mean, if they had a choice, the suburban, can. the, the awfuls, yeah. you know, the awfuls and the uh, angry white, angry white female uh, liberals in the suburbs oh, yeah. Yeah, we know yeah. many of them, you know, so they're usually at a wine 
you know, drinking wine at a book club that uh, for a book they haven't read. But still, they would vote for Michelle. She she would be a formidable general election candidate. There's no question. There's okay. no question. Oh, man. Well, if we start seeing stories coming out as Biden's like health issues start becoming more and more prevalent, they can see them seeding this, the case for because, you know, they're not going to just pull the trigger and be like, oh, we got to go. It's going to be, oh, he slipped and fell here and he's been in the hospital for a day or he's had pneumonia or whatever it is. It's going to build up. And then finally, they're like, you know, he's too sick. Gentlemen, I have to break in here because we started this discussion talking about a river up north and there's no other way to describe Michelle Obama's candidacy than walking into an icy river for me. I don't know how else to put it delicately. Uh, I mean, I'm sure for liberals, it'd be like, you know, walking into a warm bath. I mean, who knows? Right. But look, I, I, we haven't seen any real polling on this. It's hard to, it's hard to know exactly. And again, the country's pretty tribal. I mean, you look, you know, Republicans are going to turn out and vote for Trump and Democrats are going to turn out and vote for, for whomever the nominee is. Um, but I think she would she would have uh, a good deal of appeal to a lot of uh, a lot of independents. So and you would get that uh, that steak dinner and uh, a bottle Woo-hoo! of wine because Woo-hoo! Tom Bevan, you came up with the Michelle prophecy. Right. Right. Long time ago, the original the, the OG. hasn't come true. I'm like, yeah, the yeah. OG prophecy. I get that <laughs> bottle of wine for you, and just have to turn around and give it to Cannon. So that's a problem. <laughs> I wouldn't even get to enjoy it. Uh, well, thanks for note. thanks for being yeah, here with us. Thanks, good Tom. luck in New Hampshire. Absolutely, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. For Tom Bevan, president and co-founder of Real Clear Politics, and for Jeff Carlin, executive producer of WGN Radio, husband to Christine, and future physics teacher. And for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com, where you always get a good cup of common sense. Thanks for joining us on the Chicago Way podcast. And join us again next time, won't you? On the Chicago Way on WGN+. Plus.